0: Hey guys. Hey, this is Doug Fletcher. You probably don't remember me. I've been gone for a few weeks, but you're listening to What's the Hazard. This is our podcast about workplace safety and health. Um, Yeah, it's good to be back. I've been gone for a few weeks. Uh, You know, it's interesting because we typically do these on Fridays. We try to record every Friday. And oddly enough, some of my clients want me to work on Fridays. And so it doesn't always work out in my schedule that I can be here and you know, not actually earn a living. So I do have to work occasionally on Fridays. Uh, last Friday was no exception to that, unfortunately. But um, I do want to thank my good buddy Aaron Serone for filling in. He and Cam did a great job. I hope you've listened to that episode. He's always interesting, and he's always got a number of um, you know, really thoughtful comments to make about leadership, and I know that we are all interested in that. So thank you, Aaron. Uh, if I could have anybody that has my back, I would want it to be you, man, for a number of reasons. So thanks again, and Cam, thanks for helping him out. Um, I have to mention my sponsors. As always, we are incredibly grateful to have these three amazing sponsors, CCS Group, uh, Fallowich Construction Services, and the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultations. So thank you, guys. We, we appreciate your continued support. I know that we're actually re-upping for another year in many cases, so I look forward to uh, another year of um, working with you guys. Um, I guess there's a couple of observa- observations that we should make before we get started with my guest. Um, and my guest is Jim Steele, and we're beaming him in from parts unknown. We will we'll discuss that in a moment, but uh, thanks for being here, Jim. You bet. Hey, man. Oh, so a couple of observations, and you and you might want to comment on these, actually. OSHA just dropped their emergency temporary standard for COVID yesterday. Hmm. It just hit the federal register, and so... Um, it was interesting. I have not had a chance to read them in detail, and this is a federal. I'm talking feds now. I think some of the states have already implemented emergency temporary standards in some cases, but the Fed program that we were all concerned about at this stage of COVID uh, deals specifically with healthcare, and uh, it talks in and specifically within healthcare. We we're talking about facilities or activities that are dealing with known or potential COVID infections. And so specifically for those facilities that are treating COVID infected patients. And so uh, there are a number of exceptions within the healthcare community and it basically does not address um, everyone else. So along with that emergency temporary standard They also dropped uh, a guidance document for essentially everyone else, which I guess would include manufacturing, construction, even the food processing folks who've kind of been on the fringe of that. And it is termed guidance, which we know in OSHA parlance means non-mandatory, which I also find interesting. So I would highly recommend that everybody take a look at those. If you are in healthcare, take a look at that. Uh, And if not, um, and you are considering modifying your COVID protocols, Take a look at that guidance document, also found on OSHA.gov. So, very interesting, and uh, I'll read it in more detail, and hopefully we can talk about it uh, at greater length in the future. The second thing I want to mention is that, um, man, it's hot here in Nebraska. I don't know where, where you are necessarily, but here in Omaha, it has been in the 90s for a number of days, and the forecast continues to be in the 90s. You know, relatively high humidity. So I hope all of you are exercising a a, a good um, heat illness program. You know, keeping track of uh, our employees and their exposures to the heat, whether that be inside or out. Um, gosh, you know, review the symptoms, signs, and symptoms. Make sure that we're hydrating. Make sure that we're offering some type of water, rest, shade protocols as OSHA has promoted for years. Just keep in mind, I was, up, I was up at a few facilities this week, and it was just so hot, man. And I know it's hard to keep up with hydration. I don't like water, personally, other than maybe splashing it on top of my bourbon or something, you know. But from a hydration standpoint, that's not recommended, certainly. But it is hard to consume enough water, you know, based on what the recommendations are. So, I think it's important that we, we have formulated some type of a protocol and guidance, rather than just tell people, "Well, you know, stay hydrated." I mean, what the hell does that mean? You know. So, uh, what do you think about that, Jim? What, what do you guys do for that?
1: We have um, actually at our um, EPS plant. Our plant manager there is really kind of taking a lead role and, and works hard to make sure we we manage that well. And they do um, a heat index reading every. Um, I think it's every thirty minutes. It could be every hour. I think it's every thirty minutes. And, um, and there are certain levels, when it reaches a certain level, um, we initiate uh, more breaks and it hits the next level. Well, actually, I think the first thing we do is we start issuing uh, water and Gatorade, and making sure it's always there, but we make sure that it's there and available, and readily available. Um, and we initiate breaks once it hits a certain level. Um, the breaks get longer at a certain level. And then at a certain level, employees um, have an option of whether or not they want to work. And if another if enough employees decide they don't want to work, we shut the plant down. Interesting. Then it hits a level. There's a level at which it, it'll hit and we just shut the plant down.
0: Wow. Um, that, that's actually fairly sophisticated. And it sounds a little bit like the ACGIH guidelines to some degree,
1: yeah, you know, depending
0: exactly. on the, you know, that heat index and the and the amount of that level of work, you know, light, medium, heavy workload, that type of thing.
1: Yeah, it's not a wet bulb globe temperature test, but it's uh, mm-hmm. it's just uh, humidity and and uh, temperature. Mm-hmm. We do have wind movement. We have fans and things everywhere, so they do have the 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 evaporation to the sure. extent we have a lot of steam in that plant. So it you know evaporation yeah. obviously slows a bit with that. But, but
0: but you have actually like ceased working at 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 certain points in the past where it's been so hot that it's just not safe to continue. Yeah. That's interesting, man. You know, I go into facilities. Gosh, I can remember going into a brick facility when I was with OSHA. They had a kiln where they were baking these bricks. It was probably 100 yards long. And just walking through that rim in the middle of July, I can remember with Darwin Craig, who was my old partner at OSHA, walking through that facility next to that 1,800-degree oven or whatever the hell it was. I guess they weren't melting iron, but you know maybe it was 800 degrees or 600 degrees, whatever. And coming out at the other end, going out into the July heat in Nebraska and finding relief out in the 97-degree heat. I mean, it was so hot, man. And I know, gosh, if you do use ovens or kilns or if you have a baking process or annealing process or something, that can really be brutal. So it really is critical. So, hey, everybody, keep in mind, heat, take a look at that emergency temporary standard if it applies to you or those guidelines. Otherwise, uh, last thing, I, I, I totally—I've I, been gone for two weeks, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It is—it um, is June. It is Friday, June 11th, here in Omaha, Nebraska, right? I've totally omitted that. My guest is Jim Steele from Airlight Plastics, the safety manager, EHS manager. He has a fancy title, but he is um, coming to us from Antarctica, or where, where the hell are you? I'm in
1: Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. So I was here, yeah, visiting one of our plants in Pennsylvania.
0: Awesome, man. So when are you when are you due to come back? Will you be back for the weekend or
1: No, I typically hang out after the you know, at the end of the week I'll hang out and wherever it is that I go and find
0: something fun to do. Have you so, have you had a cheesesteak? Let's let's get that. Uh, yeah, I've
1: had them. Yeah, okay. I haven't this time, but we may go out tomorrow and do that.
0: Okay. After. And so I've been to Philly a few times, and and it is either wit or without, right? With the cheese whiz crap they put on there, or without. And, and what what would you? Are you wit or without?
1: Uh, I, you know what? I don't know. I'll flip a coin. I'll do whatever. The <laughs> okay. Can. Man.
0: When they started pouring cheese whiz on my uh, beautiful meat sandwich, I was like, "What the hell is that?" But hey, man, you know, when in Philly, you do as the Phillyans do, or whatever. So. Well, the topic today, man, and I I appreciate you joining me. I know that, that you're coming to us from your office or a hotel or something like that. So thank you very much. I appreciate your time. One of the topics that we have not covered at great length on the program so far is training. And it is a critical part of safety and health. And it's something that we all do and probably all struggle with. So I thought it would be interesting to get that dialogue started, you know, and you and I could maybe start that and then we can continue this, you know, periodically, throughout the rest of the year, perhaps. But, you know, training is such an interesting component, such an interesting piece of what we do. And, uh, frankly, it came to mind last week. You know, Friday, when I was not here last week, I was actually up doing an OSHA 10-hour class in Iowa for a group of students. And, um, you know, the challenges of doing that OSHA 10 for a group of high school and college-aged students was really – uh, really apparent. It was just right in my face that this was different than training people who go to work every day. You Do know, you remember
1: that that class that we did? You were doing a ten-hour course over at the tech building. Oh yeah, we, man. We tried to push that dummy off a
0: ladder. <laughs> <laughs> right. You mean that kid that we, uh, or that the actual dummy? <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, you know, that was actually something that I thought was a very noble undertaking. We were actually doing ten-hour classes at the Omaha Public Schools construction academy down at the TAC building Uh, these were students who had basically chosen you know they weren't going to go to college they wanted to go into the trades and they wanted to be in the construction industry and giving them that 10-hour class I thought was a brilliant idea it was kind of a pro bono deal obviously it was just a community service deal but there were certain challenges to trying to to, (laughs) to provide training to 20 high school aged construction academy students you know Whether it was either getting their head up off the desk, they were asleep, or getting them to focus or interact. I mean, there are certain challenges with that, obviously, and there are challenges with the training that we do with our own employees, certainly. And so, you know, let's talk briefly about, you know, what we're we're talking about when we're talking about training and and why. What are the whys behind the training? If you want to hit on that a little bit, what and why?
1: One of the things that kind of occurs to me as you say that was something I heard at a seminar one time is the difference between education and training. And it's not safety education necessarily. That's things that maybe people like you and I do. Uh, but but uh, safety training is is a how-to. It's, mm-hmm. uh, and someone described it like this, that, that it would be the difference between sex education and sex training, what mm-hmm. your kids to, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and why? I,
0: I had a mouthful of coffee there, man. You got to be careful with that. <laughs>
1: You got it, yeah. So you got to think of it in terms of that. You're trying to get someone to be able to do something uh, in a specific way as training, and education is just have them have some distant understanding of it. I suppose, right,
0: right. Much like what this is, I mean these these episodes are intended to be informational. They are certainly not training, and we don't we don't we don't uh, you know suggest that they are training. Um, Just information, you know, just um, ideas, concepts, things like that. But you're right, and you know, training to me has always been something ideally that would be progressive you know when you when you train for a sport or you train for an activity or whatever that is or you're training for a i know you're a, you're a triathlon triathlete yeah. you know yeah. when you're training for those there is a progression to it and when i see training in a in a work environment i'm not sure i always see progression nor do i necessarily even see the intent of progression sometimes it is just simply I have a box to check, and I'm going to do this hour-long video. It certainly that's what it was in the past when you, you and I.
1: I think you put that under educate The video is education. Training is where you go out and do it. Yes, <clears throat> watch them and correct. You know the the deviations, and you know explain. You educate them on the expectation, and then you train them to actually execute it. And mm-hmm. I think that's the two different things. And and OSHA kind of does a good job with that. With like for forklifts, they require that you educate them uh, in a classroom training, then you go out and observe them and, and, and make whatever corrections they need to make and how to inspect the equipment and how to, to, uh, to operate the equipment. You take them through a little, a little, you know, um,
0: A little practical of some sort where they're,
1: Yeah, I they pick this up and set it up over there and thing you know, and, and yeah. things like that. To so to me, that's training as they're actually putting their hands on it and doing it. And you're making an observation and making corrections as you go. And, and, um, and then, when you feel comfortable for them to operate that, the way that I like to say it is, when you feel comfortable with that person operating that equipment around your kids, then they're 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 good, you know. And if you can't reach that level of confidence that you wouldn't let this person operate that piece of equipment around your kids, then don't let them operate it because there's yeah, somebody's yeah. kids that are out there.
0: That's right. This is exactly why I asked you to be here, man. Um, that's a great description because almost everything that we do has a component of education. But then the actual training is more than just that. And you know, when you and I started in this profession many, many years ago, it used to just simply be slap a VHS tape. Is that what they work? VHS tape into a VCR, turn the lights off, leave the room for an hour, come back, and okay, sign the sheet, and you're done. And that. It was barely educational, frankly. It was probably just more of some kind of a sleep study of some sort. But
1: meditational. <laughs> it was meditation
0: exactly, but that's what it was for years and years and years. And but I think your, your I think your description is right on the money. The training comes into the out in the facility or out on the job site, the hands on portion of this. And I think right. that that's very astute and and it's it's still not being done everywhere. I think you know most people have come to realize that. You need a little bit of both. And as you described, you know, kind of the why oftentimes is because OSHA requires us to do training uh, almost almost in all cases, whether if there's an OSHA regulation or there's an OSHA expectation under general duty that we, that we protect our employees, there's almost a training piece every time with that. And that, you know, in the, 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 the standard that you referenced, 1910-178, the forklift, the powered industrial truck standard they are very prescriptive in what they want us to accomplish. They, you know, there is the formal educational piece. There is the practical hands-on training piece. And then there is the observation evaluation piece. And that, to me, that's a, that's a great recipe for how to do this.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so whatever you want someone to safely do something you have to, you want to ultimately observe them safely doing it. And so,
0: yeah, exactly. we
1: have a, we're, we set up, uh, there's also some and remind me to come back to this or for us to come back to this so there are learning management systems too is about how to track the training and document the training and we've recently purchased into a, a learning management system that i think has a lot of promise it's it's a, there's a few things about it that are clunky but but by and large it, it tracks the training and redoing the training and things like that and how often and and that and making sure that you know, so you have a maintenance guy. What all does he need to be trained in? And you have a list of the training and making sure. And this this actual this uh, learning management system we have has a process called checkpoints. And so you can assign a checkpoint to every training where you will you'll do the tr- you'll do the education part, and then the checkpoint is the actual training where you would go out and observe and and or or you would check that they understand it somehow.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a pretty
1: good system, but we can come back.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that in a minute. Hey, I do want to take a minute. You know, um, er, er, at the start of every show, we have an opportunity to introduce our sponsors, which is, you know, incredible. But it's interesting because there are a number of people who have have perhaps for one reason or another chosen not to sponsor the program, but still support the program. And so I I really want to introduce some of these supporters to the audience. These are typically small business persons. They are providers of some type of a service related to what we do in the safety and health field. And so I want to introduce um, one of these supporters today. Um, She's been a colleague for now a number of years, and she's become a friend of mine. Her name is Kristen Hodge, and her company is HINCO, H-I-N-C-O. And Kristen is uh, really interesting. She provides all things orthopedic, injury-related. So, Orthopedic injury prevention is her wheelhouse. And those would be things like ergonomic evaluations, both, you know, in administrative areas and in industrial settings. She develops um, pre-shift stretching programs. Uh, She does back health and back safety or lifting safety programs, training and education. Um, She has done a number of those services for my clients, and she does a really terrific job. Um, I've been duly impressed. And, and to be able to get some of these employees to engage and to pay attention during the training and actually laugh a little bit, you know, which I was just incredibly impressed by. Um, she, she has been supporting the podcast, and I, I appreciate that, Kristen. Um, I, I hope everybody will take a moment. I know she's located here in Omaha, but I would assume that she will travel to do some of these services, as, as most of us will. Uh, Again, her name is Kristen Hodge. It's K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Hodge, H-O-D-G-E. The company is HINCO, H-I-N-C-O. You can find her at HINCOsolutions.com. And her email address is Kristen, again, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, at HINCOsolutions.com. I hope you check her out. Um, I will continue to use her when when those needs um, are applicable to my clients. And almost everybody needs, well, in my opinion, everybody needs some type of back health, lifting, training, um, stretching. I'm a, I'm a proponent of stretching programs. So if those are th- things that are of interest to you, um, check out her website, send her an email, just communicate with her, give her a chance to tell you what she can do for your company. So, um, again, Kristen, thank you for supporting the podcast. We appreciate it. Um, this is intended to sound like an advertisement, so okay. So, I, I want everybody to go check her out, send her an email, make contact with her, and see if there isn't something that she can do for you along those lines. So, thank you, Kristen. All right, man, we're back, and I'm back with Jim. So, um, let's talk a little bit more about you know the why. I mean, obviously, we are required by law to ensure that our employees understand the hazards that they might confront in the workplace and how to deal with those things. Really what we want to do is teach them how to do their jobs safely, right? I mean, if you've been hired to operate a forklift or if you've been hired to run a piece of equipment, all I really want from you is to be able to do that job safely, right? Produce a quality product safely or provide a quality service safely. And so, you know, we have to train them how to do that. We have to show them how to do that. And so, and OSHA requires that certainly, you know, there are a number of We can talk in more detail about the OSHA regulations as they pertain to training. I will tell you that OSHA says that training needs to be provided in a language that the employees can understand and at a level they can understand, okay? So, at a technical level that the employees can comprehend, right? And that is not always easy. As I was saying, I was doing some training for these students, uh, high school students, some, you know, early college age students, and gosh, a lot of the terminology that we used during an OSHA 10-hour class was unfamiliar to these students. And so we really had to get somewhat remedial in some of these subjects because they just – they didn't – when I said lockout, tagout, you know, I got the blank stares, you know, when we talked about machine guarding. I mean, the only machine guarding they may have ever seen was, uh, you know, the shroud over the lawnmower or something, you know. So um, that is a challenge from a training standpoint to make sure that the information – is provided at a level that the employees can comprehend. You yes. have that and I know in your in your environment this is particularly difficult because you have so many different languages spoken in your workplaces.
1: We yeah, we do and we, we're fortunate that we have a lot of um, a lot of, we have people that our uh, employees that can help translate and we have a pretty good on the what I'll call on the job training process that it's not called that but it's, it's they, we have trainers on the production floor that 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 work with people until they're ready. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, you have to meet people where they are. That's, that's the, I guess, rule one is you have to meet them where they are and not where you wish they were, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And, and, uh, so, you know, that's part of the hiring process, I guess, but, um, that's an interesting yeah.
0: comment, man. So again, I, and look, man, I know, I, you know, you're not getting paid, right? I mean, you don't make any money for doing this, but. <laughs> Part of the reason that I love you as a safety professional, man, is because you have always been pragmatic and you've always been innovative. You know, you were one of the most innovative safety people that I have an opportunity to work with. I love the the fact that you are always looking how to do this better. You don't just rest on your laurels. You know, you're always looking for new, innovative ways to to provide information and to protect your employees. Was that good? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and um no i mean that sincerely man i absolutely love that about you,
1: you just stay on script <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: sorry um but you've also had the opportunity to work in both construction and industry right which is very unique uh, most people specialize in one or the other and i would imagine that from a training standpoint they are different are they not
1: yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of differences. There's a lot of differences in just expectation sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, and there's a lot more union activity in the construction industry, or at least that i found that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that adds a whole new realm to it. And, and um, the right. union is typically the, the carpenters union anyway, does a really, really good job training, training people and they have some good training information and things like that. So when I was in construction, uh, actually, I had two construction experiences. One was with a company called chief industries out in grand Island. They had a really good, Um, um, construction team out there, but, but yeah, it's a little different. So, but one of the things I've, I kind of settled into um, in my career was to try to build things around a job hazard analysis because, and it's like, it's the name of this program is what's the hazard. And that is exactly the first thing you have to ask is what is the hazard and then how are we controlling it? And then how are we going to train people in how we control it? And so um, so, I like to build the safety program around the job hazard analysis concept and, and uh, doing that just that methodical step by step. What are, the, what are the steps of the job? For those of you that don't know, a job hazard analysis kind of works like this that you take a look at the job start to finish and you identify kind of the markers what, what's the first step, second step, third step. It's not a how to do the job, but just what are the basic steps of the job. And then once you've identified the basic steps of the job, then you take each one of those small steps and identify what the hazards are that come up in those steps and just try to make a good inventory. Okay. on step one, here's where you could pinch your finger and something could get in your eye and there's a chemical involved. And, and then step two, well, you could get something else in your eye and you could smash your finger. And step three, you know, you have all of this list of hazards. And then once you have a feel like you have a really good list of all the hazards, then you go back and decide, okay, well, how are we going to control each of those hazards? And you identify that. And then once you've identified it, a couple of things I like to say is that the, the first thing you do is, does the, 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 the rule control the hazard? Um, and then you ask, does that control meet the OSHA standard? Uh, I always look, put that last. When you say, well, what does the OSHA standard say and only go by that? Well, OSHA standards miss a lot of hazards. I mean, yeah, they'll they allow a lot of a lot of stuff. So the first step is, does it control it to an acceptable level of risk in my estimation? And then I make sure that at least meets the OSHA standard. And If it doesn't, then we raise it. But typically we go, you know, if you do it like that, you'll end up finding yourself controlling the hazard better than OSHA would require in a lot of cases. Uh, and you get the employees involved in that. So uh, when we do it, we, we take that process and we go over with the employees and ask them for their feedback and make sure that what we're saying is what they're going to do and what they they agree to do that. Um, and then, uh, and then we take that job an analysis and you can create your, all of your training from, from that, what training do we have to do? Some of it would be, well, there's a fork trucks that, you know, you have to operate. Well, that's a whole fork truck training. So you just mention it in the JHA that to operate the fork truck, you need the training and they get all the, that training additional. But, um, the way we use the JHAs is uh, when we hire a new person, they get a copy of that JHA, or we give them a copy of that JHA, and they go over that during their first week or so of employment. And whoever's training them will go through that JHA with them um, as they teach them how to do the job. So at this particular point, here's what we do, and here's how the hazards that come up. And, and then at the end of that, the, the idea is that we have a written test at the end of it that covers all the hazards, and they fill out and take that written test. And that's just their first introduction to the hazards, Uh, but you're introducing them to the hazards and the work rules as it comes up in their actual job. And so I like that better than a video of maybe you're doing hazard communication. Well, what's more effective, a hazard communication that you have maybe somebody in the healthcare industry talking about chemicals that they could get on themselves? And this person's looking at that and going, I'm working in a manufacturing plant. I'm not working. Who is Mm -hmm. that person? In the JHA, it would come up, okay, we're going to take this chemical and do this with it. Now, before we get started, here are the material safety data sheets, and here's what you know how, what those look like, and you'd review the material safety data sheet related to the chemical that that person is about to use in the job and how they use it. So they make that direct correlation between the hazard and the work rules and all of that right there when they're doing it. And so it affiliates the hazard with the actual work. And I think that's what misses a lot of times in and training and watching a video is you don't make a connection between what I just watched in the video 20 minutes earlier and, and what I'm about to do now. Mm
0: -hmm. And, uh, um, that's, that is really, that is really fantastic, man. And I, I totally agree. The JHA is just foundational to everything that you're going to do. Um, and I think people get it out of sequence sometimes, as you said, sometimes they are, they are writing the JHAs after the fact they've done some training and they've done all these other things. And, um, The JHA comes out of sequence, but it really is the foundation of everything that you're going to do going forward. That JHA is probably, if you do SOPs, it should be probably incorporated into the SOP. I I am a a fervent believer that when you train someone to do a job, you need to train them to do the job safely. You don't train them to do the job and then send them to lockout, tagout training, you know, three weeks later in a classroom somewhere. As you said, if you were following the JHA – you will see that at this, you know, when we're changing the blade on this piece of equipment, we lock it out and why. And so as that employee is learning how to do their job, they are learning how to do it safely all along that series of tasks. And I I think that's absolutely the right way to do it. I, I love that. So that's a great comment.
1: Yeah. So, And you know, and then the next thing that we do, um, is, is once you've been trained, now you have the rest of your career to forget it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so we we have pre-ship meetings and at the pre-ship meeting, we take one hazard from the JHA and we review that with the team as a refresher on that. And what I really try to push for the managers to do is to not only say, okay, this is the rule we all agreed we were going to follow, but to also ask, are we still following this? Is this something we really, uh, is there a better way to do this if we miss something and get the employee's feedback and change it if we need to. If the employees have come up with a better way, let them hit the BS button and say, no, it's BS. We, we don't do it like that. This is what I do. Right. And make it safe, that's another thing as big as trust, is making it safe for someone to be able to say that. That's, that's not the way I do it. I don't, right. You know. I do this thing over here because it's easier, and then you have an opportunity to either correct that, say, "Well, you didn't think about this hazard. Let's let's look at that," or it's like, "Wow, that's a great idea. Let's go back and change the JHA."
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, and so then you change the JHA. Now the next time you train a new person, you're going to train them in that new process, right? Because you've got it documented. It's all the same place. Uh, and then the next time you get all the way through the JHA, you're coming back, and that's coming up again. And so they're hearing this new way of doing it over and over again. So you're constantly going through the JHA and revising it to, to you know, giving a, a reality check uh, each day pre-shift. And so that's more of the training.
0: Wow, that's so important, man. And I, I totally agree. And you said a couple of things in there that I want to touch on if I can actually remember them. One, engaging the employees in the first place, right? When you were developing these JHAs, you know, speaking with the operators, speaking with the maintenance people, the people out on the floor that are actually doing this work, particularly when you're identifying hazards and designing controls, right? I mean, that's so critical and to get the buy-in and to get that trust. And then, as you said, kind of going back and doing that temperature check periodically, is this actually how we're doing this? Or is this just some fantasy that we came up with in the office and you guys do things totally differently? Yeah. But the other thing that you said and I think is really important is that training is being provided by the supervisors. I think some people have the – idea that, you know, the safety program is going to be administered by the safety person and they are going to do all the training. They're going to write all these JHAs. They're going to do all this stuff. And, you know, I think that's kind of what we all envisioned 30 years ago that the safety role was going to be. But I think we've come to the realization that that's just not how it works at its best. You know, Um, the employees can be involved in the training and certainly the procedural development and the supervisors or lead people can be involved in the training and the safety people can be involved in getting a sense of as you said is this reality or do we need to make some modifications i think but- setting
1: the tone too is making sure that we're not setting the tone that this is a gotcha thing that it's a um you know i i've said this i've never actually committed it to paper but uh but I'll, I'll say it and say it again that I, I really think the only two safety rules that you need to have as far as enforcing things is is uh, is don't lie and uh, and do what you say you're going to do. If you have some you know as insubordination, if a person is just absolutely not willing to do it uh, a safe way, they won't do it the way they agreed that you would do it. That kind of thing that's a problem. You could, you could take disciplinary actions there, or if the person lies about it, well, you can't work from that. But if a person's willing to tell you, I'm not willing to do that. If they're willing to step up and tell you the truth about how they feel about it and, and you're trustworthy enough that you're not going to hold that against them, that you're going to listen and listen all the way through it, figure out what they're talking about. Usually you're going to find out that they've got a much better idea. I like to tell this story. One time I was talking to this guy about i was working at chief industry they had a uh, manufactured housing plan and they had uh we had some shoulder problems with people doing different work so i was kind of uh, alert to that and i saw this guy uh i was talking to him about. oh so we decided that we would put these pads on people's shoulders so that if they carried lumber on their shoulder that 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 it would give them some padding and it was like a knee pad but it was on your shoulder and i thought it was a, great idea. <laughs> like a and so I was watched this. I was talking to this one guy about it, and I asked him. He wasn't wearing the shoulder pad. I said, "Well, why don't why don't you wear the shoulder pad?" He goes, "I don't think it does any good." And I was like, "Well," and I started explaining how if you're constantly putting that lumber on your shoulder and it's constantly hitting you, you know, over time it's going to wear you out. And I, and he just patiently listened to what I had to say, and and he said, "Yeah, I still don't think it'll help me." And he and I and I'm getting a little frustrated. i like, "Well, why in the world wouldn't that help?" You? He goes, "Well, I don't carry the lumber on my shoulder. I carry it like this." <laughs>
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah!
1: Thank you very much, and I
0: walked up, uh, <laughs> right. Well, don't wear that damn shoulder pad then. Yeah, That's not less doing and, any yeah good.
1: Lesson, lesson learned.
0: Hey, it is true, man, and you know that that unfortunately is oftentimes the case. We have these preconceptions or misconceptions, and until we actually survey the employees, yeah, you know, as on, as my as buddy well. Aaron will say, there is a lot of that institutional knowledge out there. You know, those employees develop ways; they accommodate ways to do these things whether we realize it or not from our office, you know, from our ass at some desk somewhere. So, you know, it it really is important.
1: I like to say, if you, if you think it's bad now, let me fix it. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) That's exactly right. And how many times has that happened where we have, I mean, OSHA even has a term for that, you know, greater hazard. We've created a greater hazard by, you know, through our efforts to eliminate a hazard, it just made it worse. And I I'm sure that we've all done that many, many times. So. That is interesting. Well, let's talk, you know, we've talked a little bit about the whys, and we can get into more detail about what OSHA requires, but that's, you know, it's that's easily available in the CFRs. Go read it and see if you can me, figure it throw,
1: out. Let me take something really quick, too, just to kind of close the loop on that yeah. page. So so you train the new person in it, and they maybe remember 10%. If you got a genius on your hands, they probably remember 10% of it, <laughs> Right. right? Uh, but then you go over it every day. You're hitting a different one every day and kind of reiterating it. You've kind of shown them and they've touched it and seen it, so you got a little more knowledge and remembrance of it. Uh, but then uh, what we've started doing recently, we just bought a new plant. And this plant, they're uh, airline non-woven. Hopefully they'll listen to this and hear me say it because I've said it to their face and I'll say it behind their back and everywhere else is that they really get it. they got a great plant manager out there. Anyway, so we're going to take on the next step of that is to start using that JHA as the inspection tool. Mm. So uh, so, and what they're doing is each day they review one of the one of the hazards and then they're going to they're going to give that sheet to the safety committee and say, Hey, I just need you to watch throughout the day and document and make sure we're doing it like this. And if there's any deviations, let's huddle up and chat about it and see if maybe the deviation's a better idea and we'll update the JHA or if not, then we'll pull people together and make sure that we fall in line with what it is we agreed in the JHA. And so we use the JHA for the inspection. And someone at one point says, well, there's a lot of things on the inspection sheet that aren't on the JHA. And my question is, well, well why?
0: Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. The
1: exit doors are blocked. That probably ought to be on the JHA, I suppose, you know, the exit doors. We need to have the, you know, clear paths of walking Mm -hmm. surfaces. And so, add that to it, you know, why wouldn't you have it there? Mm -hmm. And so, that kind of closes the loop on the thing that we're telling the new people, we're telling everybody else, reminding them, and then we're going out and seeing if it's actually happening.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. And and once again, man, um, God, I was going to say, you're that genius that you were just referring to. That's probably a stretch, but... (laughs) The reality is we spend a lot of time focused on things that are, uh, they're not totally inconsequential, but they're kind of minor by comparison. As you said, you know, we spent, you know, that whole, um, I'm going to go do the inspection based on the JHA. So those hazards and those controls are really what I need to be focusing on. Those are what are significant to me in the operation that I'm undertaking here. And, Um, Then we go, you know, spend, you know, four hours making sure that the little arrow is in the green on the fire extinguishers. And that is important. And I mean, I'm not suggesting that not to do that, but sometimes we don't see the forest for the trees. We we get fixated on, you know, the checklist, the minor things, and we kind of miss some of those bigger. I mean, for example, you know, the risk of slip, trip, fall or strains or something can be incredibly significant. They rarely hit a checklist anywhere, but they will certainly be on that JHA. You know, oh, yeah. so it's interesting, man. Thanks. That's another great point. So, from the standpoint of the actual training itself, the how-to, what have you learned over the last thirty years about effective training? You, you've kind of touched on it with the hands-on stuff, I think and
1: having the hands-on, having the employees uh, um, that do the work. Uh, if not, do the training, certainly be very involved in what the training includes. Uh, and you have to have some classroom training. You have to have the emergency procedures. That's kind of classroom. Actually, we do something kind of fun with emergency procedures. I could get into that if you
0: wanted. Please. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So uh, we do drills, and drills are training, right? That's just another form of training. So drilling, I suppose, would be. So we have uh, evacuation drills, and we have uh, take shelter drills, and we have medical emergency drills. And uh, uh, the evacuation drills, we we uh, have year for years, just run everybody out of the plant. You know, can you can you go out of the door without grabbing your coat and going to get your purse? You know? <laughs> right,
0: which is not easy.
1: No, that's hard. That's the hardest part of it is getting people not to you know go, go get them. their
0: personal belongings.
1: Right. But, you know, with, with, uh, with um, violence in the workplace and things like that, it just it's, it's critical to be able to get everybody out of your plant in a, in a really quick way and putting their head on a pivot and having them look both ways and, and, or look for danger as they go, be ready to change direction if you run into danger and all of that kind of thing. And so, uh, so we drill that. And uh, Abby and I, some of you have met Abby. She's our safety manager at our larger plant. And uh, she's, she's really, really cool. She and I one time uh, uh, did a danger ahead sign. We had this big, ugly picture of a monster kind of a thing. And when people came, they were supposed to see that and go, oh, wow, that's danger. I should go the other way and tell people. But it didn't it didn't pan out like that. And it started <laughs> a lot of conversation about, you know, that, that you hear danger. If there's something up there, you go the other way, get out of a different exit. Right. I'm kind of getting off. No, no, no. I love
0: that, man. I, I, and, that's a, and that's an interesting question because you know, people do these, and drills, you mean exercises. I mean, that's really is the hands-on portion oftentimes of, you know, after the educational piece, I think they are critical to good response, but I don't think very many people do drills with intention. You know, they're just, again, checking a block. We did our fire drill, check. We did our shelter in place, check. But, when you add stressors like that, or when you throw a monkey wrench into the process or something and see how the employees react, you can really learn something about how prepared they are. Well,
1: we do, we do a thing too. I'll go around and ask several people to go hide out. I say, when the alarm goes off, I I, I need you to go hide out. And because the supervisors have to come up with a name, the list of people that didn't, that they that didn't get out. Right. And so I test that by oh, having dude. somebody hide out. And those guys like it. They say, you know, I just say, Hey, go find a good place to hide. And, and uh and um
0: it's brilliant you know, that's yeah, really brilliant
1: well so that, that's that's training that's training the supervisor that's training the supervisor that you know how you're going to come up with this list and make yeah. sure they can do it so it makes that's, it other than but yeah so that that no i think
0: those are really good man what do you what do you guys do then for that shelter-in-place stuff you do similar types of like challenges oh. to
1: as far as, oh, for the, uh, for the. Uh, um,
0: Just how you run those exercises. Do you do anything interesting? I know that you've done medicals before. You've told me where you have, you've enlisted the as a support of an employee and they laid down on the plant floor with a little tag or something that says heart attack or. Right. And no, then we, after yeah. people step over them for 30 minutes, somebody <laughs> actually makes a phone call or something. I think those are brilliant, man.
1: Yeah, those are fun. So I would say, here's another thing. This will be, you ask what makes training good. Make it fun. Make mm-hmm. it, you know, let people laugh and have a good time and mess something up. Um, it, you know, it, if if it gets all messed up, well, you learned a lot from that. Absolutely. And, and, uh, we had a guy uh, um, when, when we, we when we do medical emergency drills. What we're drilling is, uh, I will have someone and I give them a list of things. I said you can get run over by a fork truck, or you can have a heart attack, or you can fall off a machine. How would you like to? So if they agreed <laughs> to, to be part of this drill. Then I let them pick and they, they, you know, well, I want to get, I want to fall off the machine. This one guy told me, I said, all right, well, and he was about to go to break. I said, why don't you go to your break? And right after break, I'll come over and find you. And then what I do is the person will lay there or whatever, if he fell off the machine. And then, and then I just stand there, wait for somebody to walk close by. And I wave them over. Everybody knows there's going to be a drill. They know I'm there. They know there's going to be a drill at some point. And they don't know who, where, why, but uh, somebody walks by, everybody tries not to make eye contact with me. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll wave them over. I say, Sam, I think, fell off the machine. What would you do if you found this? And the person's like, I didn't think I would, I would, uh, I'm not sure I would, uh, I think I would go tell my supervisor. And I'd say, that's a great idea. Tell your supervisor to drill that Sam may have fallen off the machine. And so then I start the clock and I wanna see how quickly we can get the AED and trauma bag there. How quickly someone instructs someone specifically to call 911. So I'm looking for someone to say, you call 911 with their finger pointed at
0: them. Right, right. And
1: then I'm looking for them to send two, two people to meet the paramedics in the parking lot. Uh, and the reason we send two is because they tend to come in waves. So part of the, we had at one time where the paramedic showed up or the fire department showed up. We escorted them back, the paramedic showed up with a stretcher and nobody was there to let them in. So now we got, I mean, that was just off. I mean, it was, we we learned a good lesson from that. So we send two people Yeah. and we always do that. So I'm looking to see how quickly they do that and then how quickly someone that knows first aid CPR shows up. And once all three of those things have been met, the drill's over, great job. And so I asked this one guy to do this one time and he came back, uh, I came back after break and I saw him laying on the floor already and he and he he had some goo coming out of his mouth, some ketchup or something, some yellow stuff. And he had a he had a rod sticking out of his chest. Oh my god! And there was stuff all over that. His boot was off. There was a bucket turned over. There was another tool laying over there. And I just, I started laughing. I said, "That's awesome. This is great, man. I can't believe you know all this. This is perfect." And I couldn't wait for somebody to walk by so I could pull him over. You know, and get this thing started. But then he didn't move. He didn't say a word. And I was like. <laughs> oh shit did, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he
0: did
1: fall off setting up, right. and immediately I thought this is going to look bad on me
0: All <laughs> <laughs> right. I've been standing over him for 30 minutes laughing
1: yeah so I got in close I said dude you alright and he opened up his eyes and gave me a wink and then put his head back over <laughs> to the side
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh but that is was, so it, good
1: Like that with it, and people learn a lot. Everybody still remembers that drill, and they probably still remember that they're supposed to point at somebody. You call nine one one. You two go meet the paramedics. You go get the AD and trauma bag.
0: That's right. Yeah, that is awesome, man. I I I love that, and so few people actually do that, Um, and and it is difficult. You know, training can be difficult, and it and um, I think we've gotten in the habit of just. Overcomplicating training sometimes, you know, we get this, uh, we've got to cover this, 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 and this, but, you know, perhaps, you know, number one, two, and three don't even pertain to what we do. So maybe we don't need to spend time going through that check. Maybe we just need to get right to the point. What is the point? Why are we doing this? What's our intent? What are we hoping as an outcome? And just get to the point and eliminate some of that fluff or some of that other filler stuff. But it is difficult. It requires imagination to come up with some interesting things like this. Uh, But when you can get your employees laughing during training, you know, I mentioned Kristen came over and did some lifting training for one of my clients. And, uh, you know, she has, you know, she's teaching them how to, you know, how to actually lift correctly. And she brings yoga mats and we're down on the floor doing, you know, bracing our core and all these different things. And I've got these old, you know, these old factory dudes (laughs) laying around laughing and, you know, I mean... Uh, it was just really a good way to engage people in the training. You know, we still talk about it. I do training for these guys every month, and we'll still, you know, talk about that and laugh about some of those silly things. And as you said, that that leaves an imprint that that you can count on for a while, you know. It's interesting.
1: I'd probably start with don't take yourself too seriously.
0: Yeah, no don't doubt. Do Always.
1: You can do that as the presenter, I think, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And and the other thing is interesting. I used to, I was very guilty of this. When I was with OSHA and I was the compliance assistance person, I was doing a lot of outreach. I would always kind of presume what I thought people needed to hear rather than just give them the information and let them take from it what they needed, you know. I I felt this burden that I had to figure out what they needed or what, you know, and that's not always true. Sometimes we just, you know, start talking about the subject and they will lead you to what they need. If you're listening and paying attention, you know, and, uh, yeah. so I, I have, um, and I've also told myself if the training isn't going particularly well, you know, at there's, there's one person in that room who is going to gain something from it. They're going to hear something that's going to be valuable to them or important to them. So even when I feel like the training hasn't gone particularly well, you know, I'm hopeful that it impacted, you know, one or two people took something away from that. You're not, it's not going to be a home run every time, right. you know, that's a lot to ask, but the information is typically important if we're focusing on what's important and, you know, hopefully somebody will take something away from that. Like I said, I did this 10 hour class for 25 high school and college age students. Um, most of them appeared to be in a coma. I don't know if there'd been some kind of a, you know, but every now and then one of them would say something that, that made me realize they're hearing something And hopefully, just like my sons, you know, I tell my sons, well, I don't tell them much anymore, but I I make suggestions to my sons and they just look at me like I'm the old, you know, some old man. But, you know, two, three days later, a week later, they will do something that suggests to me that they were listening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, man, it's, um, training is really challenging that way, you know?
1: I think another part of training that's, that's challenging is documentation of training and, and, um, And making sure that people that that need particular types of training get that particular type of training, and and uh, it's easy for those things to fall through the.
0: Well, that's your LMS, right? Yeah. Have you built those like job? Do you do that by job category, or how do you determine who needs what training? Do you have is everybody get everything, or do you have it broken down by? job classification well,
1: this, this new learning management system that we have breaks it down or helps you break it down to the to the to the extent that you want to break it down i think the jha helps you decide what's needed as you go through the jha you know grab the forklift oh well they got to have training for that and then you are going through oh you got to lock it out oh they got to have lockout tag out training and you know there's the uh this chemical comes up oh we got to make sure we cover the sds you know and and uh has come and and um so, so the JHA will lead you to, to, to realizing the training that that individual needs um, if it's something in addition to how to at that particular moment. But, uh, but the learning management system we have has uh, several features. So it has uh, uh, courses, uh, and the course is the actual training information that you're trying to get across. There are checkpoints, which I mentioned earlier, are kind of your, your opportunity to stop and have the person show you or demonstrate something or whatever. Uh, so you set up checkpoints for it. And then it has programs. And the programs uh, are a list of the training that, uh, that, that would be required for that program. So I set up a program for maintenance, as an example. So maintenance have to have the maintenance GHA. They have to have lockout tagout. They have to have the fork truck training. They have to have fall protection. They have to have uh, hot work permit. they have, And so you end up uh, making a list of all the training they have to have. And in this particular system, uh, it communicates with our, uh, with our human resource database of all of our employees and their supervisors and things like that. And so it, can, it, it has a list of all the employees. And I could say in here I could click on it and say I want um, um, uh, Lauren, who's our manager of, of, of maintenance, uh, all of his people are, are maintenance people. Uh, they have to have this training. So I could set it up like that. Or I could say if you have these particular titles Uh, you have to go to that particular program Mm -hmm. and uh, to that maintenance program.
0: Yeah.
1: I might have another one for orientation. And so it would include everything you would want the new person to know before they got on the production floor.
0: Right. Well, that's something that we need to talk about another time, man, that orientation. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it also has a feature that you can click on each course or each checkpoint and how frequently do they need to do it. So the forklifts, you, you know, you make that 360 or you make that three, three, three years. And uh, I was trying to do math there. It didn't work.
0: <laughs> That's OK, man. <laughs> Everybody's going to get yeah. a million bucks, too, as I understand it from.
1: Uh, yeah, right.
0: What's his and name? So-
1: yeah, so it, it tracks all of that stuff for you so then the manager gets a gets an email when Joe Smith's training is due and he can have him you know oh you got your three year forklift training got to get that done. you have your fall protection training we've got to get that done and and um, um, yeah so it's, a, it's a really good and it occurs to me as I was setting that per, or we begin to set that program up is that every policy you've got, if you've got a policy, you got to train people on it. Absolutely. And it be plugged into that learning management system. If if it's not, then why do you have the policy? Just so you can pull it out and beat somebody up with it later because they didn't follow it?
0: Right. Yeah, you do. All of that stuff needs some degree of education or training. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And it is, I think yeah. I agree with you. From an OSHA standpoint, the documentation piece is incredibly challenging, and it, and it's a vulnerability oftentimes. You know, you don't have the proper documentation, and OSHA feeds on that kind of stuff. So... Right. Sounds like a system that so makes that much more manageable.
1: Yeah. If you don't have one, it's a good, it's a good thing to look into.
0: Yeah. I would agree.
1: That's a program like that.
0: I would agree. So, um, what's, what's, what's on the agenda for the weekend, man. Do you have any plans in Philly or.
1: we just, no, I actually, I'm, I'm going to go find out as soon as this is over. I'm going to go talk to my friend and we're going to, figure out what we're going to do next. Nice. I'm going to, I'd like to go see all the historical sites and things.
0: That's cool. There is kind of a marketplace or something in Philly too. As I recall downtown, there's kind of a big market square area that we used to go to. Have no, you ever traveled no. with Phil Pasali? I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to travel with Phil, no, you know, no. Phil of one of my OSHA colleagues. And the guy knows everything about every community in the country, man. I mean, you go to a conference with Phil and he's going to take you to these out of the way pubs and these little delis and diners and things it is I, I've been encouraging him to to, to put together a backroads travel manual for Nebraska because when I was going to make an inspection I'd say hey Phil I'm going to Bankelman man what do you recommend and he'd say oh you need to stop at uh, JB's pub and tell JB that Phil said hello or what and I was just like the guy you know it's incredible so I'll have him give you a call I'm sure he can put you in the right direction
1: yeah, I'm sure we'll come up with something.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably not too hard to find something to do in Philly. Yeah, we'll,
1: I'm sure we'll trip into something.
0: All right, buddy. Hey, man, I appreciate your time. Thanks for, thanks for taking time away and joining me today. Um, this is something that we're going to have to continue on because this is, you know, the, the orientation piece that you mentioned is something that we need to talk about in great, greater detail. So enjoy your weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks again to our sponsors, CCS Group. Balowich Construction Services and the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation. And everybody go check out HINCO, H-I-N-C-O, and um, reach out to Kristen and see if there's not something that she can do to help you as well. So thanks, everybody. I hope you have a great weekend, and uh, I intend to be here next Friday. <laughs> thanks, Cam. Yeah. Take care, Jimmy. See you, bud. Talk to you later, yeah. man. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.